This is Hawkside Guns Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to a slightly abbreviated version of Hawkside Guns. Uh, it's just me today. Uh, Jake and I do tons of other casts, and and uh, Sunday's starting to look very stacked. Uh, plus, you know, we're watching movies with the little one and all that kind of stuff. If you guys haven't uh, seen that cast, I, I do a, a cast with my daughter as well. So the weekends are getting kind of full with Wholesome and everything else on there. But it's been a little while, actually several months, uh, since I put out anything on this channel. And there's been a lot I've been doing uh, firearms-wise with that going on. Uh, one of the first things that uh, I have done is, or, or one of the, the several things I've done, is pick up a few firearms in the meantime. And it was, it was a little weird. Uh, you know, I, I, in Texas, the way we shoot, uh, me and my father and, and friends, there's really two seasons. There's an early season in a late season. An early season is normally the springtime to almost midsummer or maybe a little before springtime, the tail end of winter for the rest of you uh, to the beginning of summer. And it's really miserable to shoot in the middle of Texas in the summertime. So we kind of stop for the summer for a couple of months. There's a natural break during that time. And the late season for us is the winter and or fall to winter and we normally shoot uh then as well and and uh over the summer i did procure a few guns and i kind of returned to form um on one of them i was at a uh, local gun show or a local gun store and uh, just perusing the used racks and uh i came across a old pump action shotgun and if anybody who listens to this, uh, which uh, the two or three of you, thank you, uh, anybody who listens to this will know um, I shoot primarily two types of firearms. Uh, uh, I only really shoot sport, um, and I, I'm almost always like 95% of the shooting I do is sporting clays. And um, so I shoot a pump-action shotgun or an automatic shotgun. Uh, I have uh, almost all gauges and bores of, of shotgun and I have pumps and automatics and all kinds of stuff, but I, that's normally what I stray to, or, uh, stay with. Uh, I don't do a lot of over and unders. I, I don't really like them. They, a lot of them have cheek recoil and I found I'm very sensitive to cheek recoil and, uh, I not so much on break opens cause you can't shoot doubles with break opens, uh, just single shot shotguns. Uh, bolt action shotguns are pretty much for hunting. I have one, uh, an old Stevens bolt action, which is comparable to the uh, Savage 220, which is what it later became. I have a, a Stevens 258, uh, which was uh, made in 1949. But that's a that's basically a, a 23 inch barrel slug gun for all intents and purposes, or, or buckshot gun. It's it's really a deer gun, deer shotgun, I guess. Um, and I have one. I, I picked it up at a gun show for like 200 bucks and or 250 or something like that. And now I, I'd have to pay 800 to replace it. So that's going to stay where it is. But primarily, 
All that to say, anyway, I shoot generally a pump action or an automatic shotgun of varying uh, size. And I saw this old shotgun sitting in a rack. And when I say old, normally when I say an old shotgun, I'm talking about uh, 60s and 70s, which honestly is like 50 or 60 years old. Um, this one was a little older than that. It, it was it was more than pre-war. <laughs> when I finally got the date code on it, which it has a, a five-digit serial number on it, um, what I think is the date anyway, it is pre-World War One. Um, it is as, uh, as near as I can figure in 1913 Remington 10 and, uh, which is a, a, uh, this particular example is a 12 gauge shotgun. Uh, anyone familiar with the Remington 10 will tell you, uh, that it was indeed, uh, pressed into service, so to speak, uh, during world war one as a, riot slash trench gun uh trench gun seems to be a very loaded word um but uh there were very few of them uh in world war one uh, that were used in that purpose as far as i can tell from all the research i've done there were less than two thousand some people say less than a thousand some people say twelve to fifteen hundred I, I i don't truly know um, because there were some that were kind of sent to the front from home from people who wanted one or, or whatever but uh, very few of them served in World War One. Uh, even fewer of them still survive to this day. In fact, there are very few uh, World War One trench guns that are Remington tens that are survivors. Most people uh, convert them because what you're talking about is a two to four hundred dollar gun um, transferred into. I saw one the other day, and it was fifteen hundred dollars, and I. I I truly don't think it was a real one. I think somebody took a, a sporting gun like what I have and converted it to a trench gun. I, I don't think, I think there's like five that they can trace back that have the, the flaming bomb on it and say us and, and are of the right vintage and tick all the right boxes and everything. Um, there, there just aren't that many that survive. Most of them were converted after the war, uh, to a, um, different service. They were pressed into the military police or they, they serve some other purpose. And it was kind of fun. Cause I, I learned a lot about Remington tens. Um, it was, it was the grandfather to the modern Browning BPS, the Ithaca 37, um, the Remington 17, all of those guns came from this gun and I saw it and it was, well, it was in a hundred, it had a hundred years of use on it. Uh, but I had to have it. Uh, and as anyone knows, I love those old guns, especially, and this, this ticked all the boxes for me because it was an old gun that, um, I could still use, uh, one, two, uh, so it, it, it was a 12 gauge pump action shotgun, uh, two, it was a bottom load, bottom eject. And I love those except for the Browning PPS. Uh, it was not expensive, nor will it ever be expensive. Like the Remington 10, for whatever reason, um, maybe because they're just too old, maybe because, you know, the 37s are really a better gun, and they are. Uh, maybe because, you know, the trench guns were the ones everybody wanted and nobody really wanted the sporting guns. I don't know. But they've never really been expensive. Uh, so I didn't have to worry about, you know, oh, the condition of it or, you know, whatever. So, uh, it, it 
the, all that kind of worked. It was in decent shape. Uh, it was messed up, which I'm always drawn to because that means I can, I, I get a project out of it. Uh, it wasn't valuable, nor will it ever be valuable. And it was what I shoot. So I picked it up and it's been super fun. Uh, I spent the last, um, uh, couple of weeks kind of refurbishing it. And, you know, I took, I just took it all completely down and got any rust off of it and, and, uh, uh, just kind of spot treated where, where it needed to be. Uh, the stocks got a complete treatment back to, I think what their original finish was in the teens of the 1900s. And, uh, they still got some nicks and some wear on them as hundred year old stocks would have. And it is a century gun, uh, which means, uh, it's, it's literally considered an antique. I could take it over state lines and there's nothing anybody could do to me because it's an antique. It literally is over a hundred years old. Um, Remington produced them from about 19, I think 1910 to 1929, something like that. Uh, so this particular gun was, uh, was made 10 years after powered flight was invented. Okay. This gun was made in rolling shells in a field somewhere before John F. Kennedy was born. Born, not served, born. Um, this gun probably hunted for dinner during the Great Depression. Um, this gun was out in a field rolling shells, shooting waterfowl and anything else. Um, World War One. World War II, Korea, Vietnam, uh, the Gulf War, Afghanistan. <laughs> I mean, it, it's weird to think about, right? Like, I, it's it's just a it's a literal piece of history. And I know nothing about its previous ownership or, or where it came from or what it where where it was sold. What there's nothing. History doesn't record that. It's just an old gun, and I loved the feeling of the history of it. And, uh, it's, it's kind of weird. Cause I've been, I've been extolling the virtues of it for anyone who will listen. I guess, including you guys now, um, for the last couple of weeks, as I kind of piece through it and, and work through it all, uh, it does cycle. It does work. It does shoot. Now I'm not shooting anything hardcore through it or, or anything like that. I'm shooting birdshot, uh, just, you know, kind of number seven and a half, um, not, you know, like 1200 foot per second type stuff. It's a very, very light clay shooting load out of a very ridiculously long barrel and a full choke. I mean, it's got a 30 inch barrel and a full choke on it and I'm shooting clays. Um, not really what it's for, but it works just fine. Uh, the only thing I've noticed, and this may be because of the age of the gun, um, it does require, after anywhere from 30 to 60 shells, uh, it does require a little spritz of rim oil uh, in it. Otherwise, it, it gets a little sticky um, in the receiver there. And uh, once you, I mean, you spritz it once and kind of work the action a couple of times, and it goes right back to rolling shells. It's great. Uh, so I, I have noticed that that is indeed the case. Uh, but other than that, it's been great. And I don't, I mean, I don't recommend buying a hundred year old gun to, to go out and shoot with like, this should not be your only gun. Okay. That's, I'm not saying it, it it's that, 
But what I am saying is it makes a fantastic play gun. And if you're into kind of the restoration of these things or the, you know, you want to save some history, man, I it's, it's just been fascinating just to watch uh, what's going on with it. I mean, it's, it is the lowest grade <laughs> of any of the, the Remington 10s ever produced. There was like the, the field grade or the A grade. And the A grade was, at the time, just short of terrible, which is just they put a pl- what they considered a plain walnut stock, which is like a better stock than you can get on most commercially available guns today on it. Uh, they put very little workmanship as far or extra workmanship into the stock as far as like checkering. It has no checkering. Uh, the forend is just kind of a cylinder with grooves in it, you know, sort of like a, a police uh, or tactical shotgun of the 1970s. Uh, only it's it's in the early 1900s. So what they considered basic now, everybody considers classy. So it's it's a little weird how that's kind of transposed. Um, also, I didn't put like a super shiny finish on it or anything like that. I wanted it to look about like it did as far as the stocks go when it came from the factory. So that's kind of what I did. And just setting it next to other guns I own, you can look at it and go, wow, that's old. I mean, it just, it does. It looks old. I mean, with all the rust gone, and I did re-black some spots and everything that were kind of bad and everything, but I left the receiver the way it was. I left the the magazine tune the way it was. Um, I put the stocks back to where, where they should be, you know, and they still got some nicks and stuff in it, but I sanded all the rest of that out, polished it out. Um, still got the original plate, not a butt pad, but a plate on the back of it um, that's Bakelite, and it says Remington Arms. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just neat, uh, a bottom ejecting, bottom loading, uh, it was designed to compete against the Winchester 1897, which was very open at the time and had some fouling problems in the, uh, mud and trenches and and stuff like that. This was designed to compete directly with that. And I, I just really enjoy the gun. Is it the best thing ever? No. Would it be my mainline shooter? No. Um, like I said, you got to spritz oil in it just to make it go over 50 rounds, sometimes 30 rounds, but over 50 rounds, you need to spritz a little bit of oil in that, that chamber just in, or, uh, in that receiver just to, and work it a couple of times just to make it go and do things. Right. Um, but I, I can't get over the, the effect it has on people. Right, you bring it out somewhere, and they're like, "Wow, what is that, man? How old is that?" You know, and it's still rolling shells. Show me a gun, and, and this is hard to do, right? Show me a gun that you think is going to make it a hundred years that I could take out in a field in 1913, and I could take out today, and it does the same thing. That's that's kind of a shortish list. Right, you're you're over and under side by sides and single shots are out, right? Are out. I mean, you have some that are that old, but they're normally wall hangers. This thing's functional, a little cranky, but it's functional. Um, I mean, you really have to get uh, really serious about what it is that you're looking for to have some kind. I look at some of the shotguns I own today; they're not going to be used 
100 years from now. There's there's no way, right? Automatics, out, right? They're going to wear out. They wear out after 10 years, much less 100. Um, you can tell that this is really solid stuff in here. I mean, everything's heavy. Everything's machined. Everything's just like, just clunk, clunk, you know, when you work the, the, the action. It's interesting. Uh, it's, it's also, and I'll warn you about this. If you're ever in the market for this kind of thing, you're like, Oh man, that sounds really cool. No one's saying that, but uh, Oh man, that sounds really cool. Uh, I might want to get an old gun just to mess around with. They are fun. They are cool. It's cool to hear the history of it. It's cool to, to think about where it came from and what it did and, and what might've gone on with it. It is a cranky little girl to get apart and back together. Let me just state that. You think a Winchester 12 is bad? It's got nothing on this. Like nothing. I mean, I, I don't care what you think you've had to go through. <laughs> this is worse. Um, I see why the, the evolution of the shotgun has progressed past this. I also see why there aren't a lot of of bottom ejecting, bottom loading shotguns. Now, that is for two main purposes as far as I can tell, by the way. The first is uh, they wanted a more closed receiver to to collect less mud and water, debris, dirt, whatever, uh, into the receiver that would potentially jam the firearm. There is, uh, if you look at a, a Winchester uh, 1897, which is primarily its main competitor, and also its uh, brother in World War One, which there are much more of, and was much more relied upon rifle in World War or uh, a shotgun in World War One than this. Um, you will notice it's open almost everywhere. Uh, this is open almost nowhere, uh, as far as the receiver goes. It's just one little space at the bottom. Also, uh, with a downloading, down ejecting shotgun, if you are firing them in a line, you are not pitching shells into the guy next to you. Now, uh, this really wasn't used for trench line firing because what you're doing with this is storming a trench if you have it in that configuration however uh the downloading down ejecting is also not only ambidextrous uh but good for that scenario and that was kind of how it was presented a little bit to the, the war uh department as far as uh, the the stuff that i've seen um in everyday life, you just don't need that. It doesn't matter. Uh, the side ejecting rounds, uh, bottom loading side ejecting is the standard. Uh, you don't really have to worry about it because you're not going to be in a trench with a sporting shotgun. Um, that's just not something that's ever going to occur. So I understand why it was changed. Also, uh, that the the down ejecting, down loading shotguns are a little bit I'm going to go with clunky. Now, I own a, 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 an Ithaca 37, which is the kind of spiritual successor to this. I have owned a Brownie BPS. I've uh, never had my hands on a Remington 17, but as is, but I've had two of the, the three kind of grandchildren to this gun. The Brownie BPS you would never want to own. Uh, the term garbage rod comes to mind when I think of that gun. It's a wonderful gun to shoot, a beautiful gun to to track with. It's it's lovely. Um, it, it swings beautifully and smooth, but you never ever want to take it apart, put it back together. It's just a nightmare. They recommend a gunsmith does it. That's how bad it really is to get back together. Um, an Ithaca 37 is a 
a really nice gun. I chased one for about two years, finally caught one uh, earlier this year, and I fell in love with it. I, I love it to death. I still take it shooting right now. Is it at the gunsmith because I wore the extractor out? Um, it was... Well, it was about as old as I am. It was in the 19... It was... Uh, no, it was older than I am, I think. It was 1959, if memory serves. Uh, so that sucker's 60 years old. And the extractor, after I put... I don't know. Maybe maybe 1,000, 1,200 rounds through it. Um, I, wore, I finally wore the extractor out. And uh, I didn't want to mess with it. I wanted it to be done right. I love the gun. I took it to a gunsmith. It's actually a couple weeks ago. It's still at the Smith now waiting for parts. Because um, I didn't want to take the bolt apart. <laughs> I really didn't. Uh, not on that gun. I love it too much. So I, I understand it. But that's a much smoother gun. Like you can work that 37 and it's much smoother. I see the improvements. I see what they changed and why they changed it. Uh, from this, the the Remington 10, but um, it's a little cranky. <laughs> to my point, it's a little cranky. Um, the barrel twists off. I have a, a takedown model, quote unquote takedown model, which means uh, the barrel twists off on offset threads, just like a Winchester 12 does. Uh, so you you bring the stock all or uh, bring the forend all the way forward. You flip the barrel over just like just like on a Winchester 12. Twist that sucker in half, and uh, it, it takes down. Now the problem is to get the bolt out of it. You have to take the stock and the trigger off. Then you can, they say, just slide the bolt out the back. You don't just slide the bolt out of anywhere. Um, they should rewrite those instructions to bloody your hands on it and make a sacrificial offering. And the bolt might come free. Should the firearm gods feel that you have made a worthy sacrifice, uh, getting it in is reverse of said procedure. Um, again, offering and, uh, perhaps the gun will go back together gracefully. Now, as far as I can tell, and I've watched some, several people fiddle with this thing, and you get one of two reactions to it. Uh, one, and I love this, there's a video of a guy putting one back together, and he's like, I left the camera rolling so you could see that it is a giant pain in the ass to get this thing back together. And he's fiddling with it, and he's kind of, and I, I, I appreciate that. It uh, just lets me know that I'm not alone. Um, and the other is they'll cut like <laughs> and put the bolt in and then they'll cut to the bolt being in and you don't see the the five minutes in sacrificial offering and, and skin that the, you left behind um, trying to get this bolt back into the receiver. And, and to be fair, I've had this gun apart like six, seven times now, and um, I had it go flawlessly just like the instructions say it, go, it, it, it could go once. One time, just through the grace of whatever, it slipped in, slipped out. It was perfect. I didn't hurt my hands. It just kind of glided and, and went on the track and the line it was supposed to. And I swear to you, I have no idea why. And I've taken a lot of shotguns apart. Okay, this is not my first shotgun. I've owned probably close to 60 or 70 shotguns in the past five or six years. Um, some very finicky. <laughs> See aforementioned Browning BPS, Winchester 12, those kinds of things. Um, this is way more finicky than that. I love it more than those two guns. But 
Wow, man, it's just, it's just, it is cranky. It is cranky, and I understand why they moved away from this particular style of putting a gun together. But I'll also tell you this. You put it in your hands, and you lay it out in front of you to blast a clay and, and bust some, some flying pottery, and it feels just as modern and just as, as light and and moves just as fast with as just as good a hitting uh, 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 in pattern as any other pump action shotgun you can name. All right, I've got Mossberg 500s. I've got an 870. I've got an Ithaca 37. I've got Berettas and Benellis, and I mean I've got a Benelli Nova. That's that's what 70. No. <laughs> Over over a hundred years newer than this gun, right? I've got an 870 that's a hundred years newer than this gun. And it feels just the same. Popping clays with this feels just the same as those guns. It swings just the same and just as sweet. Uh, the recoil is just the same. Which, I, I don't know if that says something about the quality of the arms that that we're producing then and now or maybe that that the arms haven't changed that much or you know I, I I'm not sure I I don't know what it says it just seems interesting to me that that's what we're getting you know and, and what I see and people shoot it and they're like wow that's actually kind of cool man you know and and but I'll tell you this, and this is the funniest part about it, right? Both this and my Ithaca 37, which was made, uh, uh, the cutoff for, I think it was 1960, 1961, something like that. And this is for sure before that cutoff um, with the Remington 10. They're both capable of something that everyone asked me if it could do, right? Everyone. And, and anyone with old shotguns has heard this question before. Hey, man, that does slam fire, doesn't it? And the answer is yes. Um, both my Ithaca 37 and my Remington 10 do have that function. They do do slam fire. Um, on this particular shotgun, because of its age and because I am not sure about how physically sound the lockup is on the twist um, offset threads on the takedown, I am not sure that I will ever test that. I mean, I, I look, I, I don't think it's out of battery, really. But there's, a like, I don't know, a sixteenth of an inch of play where it kind of jiggles back and forth. And that's concerning to me. Um, you know, as far as slam fire goes, you could potentially put yourself in a situation where that would not be a good thing for the gun. Um and I just, I, I don't want to, or you could, you know, you could kind of have kind of a half shot, half eject and get kind of a hang fire where it could go off into the, in, in the receiver. I, I don't know. Um, I've heard situations where that's the case, uh, especially with these older um, model tens. And I just, I just don't want to test it. I really don't. I'm not good. I've never practiced slam firing anyway. So uh, if I was going to shoot something quickly, it wouldn't be a pump gun. I would just get 
uh, an automatic. I have two great. I have an SX4 and a Beretta A300 Ultima. Uh, both of those guns are are as fast as you can pull the trigger, and I've tested that many times. If I'm going to do a fast firing shotgun, I'm just going to use one of those. Uh, I I don't feel any need to do the slam fire. My Ithaca 37 is the most beautiful gun I own, and I would never slam fire that. Uh, I just I love it so much, and I I it's just one of my favorite guns. Uh, so no, I, I would never do that. Um, they are capable of it in theory, but I'm never going to test it. Uh, not while I own them. Uh, the other question I get, which I I found was weird. Uh, with the Remington 10 was, hey, you're going to make it a trench gun. You're going to make it a trench gun? You're going to make that into a trench gun, right? I'm like, why would I do that? Uh, that's That would negate everything I want to do with it. I want to drag it out into a field and, and blow up clays with it. Why would I remove all that function and just slap on a bunch of stuff to try and make it look like it's more valuable than what it is, even though it's not? So really, it, it's just been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm not interested in, in moving it to uh, any other state other than what it is right now as far as, you know, it's a long gun. It's a, it's, it's a classic field sporting shotgun, and that's what I do with it is sporting uh, clays. And it's just been for a couple of hundred bucks and a lot of history and a lot of uh, you know, there's some project work that I still can do with it uh, to to kind of clean it up and everything. I'm not worried about, oh, my God, the patina is worth, you know, the $1,000. It's not. Like, no Remington 10s that are of this model. It's not like the super deluxe version. It isn't the nice one. It isn't the the historical one as far as World War One goes. It wasn't a trench gun. Nobody famous used it, at least that we know of. Uh, and, and it's never going to be super valuable. So I can pretty much not feel bad about doing whatever the hell I want with it. So I'm going to restore it. I'm going to, I've done the stocks. I'm probably going to take it apart again, uh, and piece by piece, just kind of refurb the whole thing, get it back to black and, and, uh, do some, uh, ferro bronzing with it and just go to town. And I think it should be a lot of fun. So, uh, I just wanted to to kind of drop a quick one here. Uh, God, that sounded bad. Uh, without uh, bothering too many other people or, or anything like that to go, look, I want to talk about this gun and you can listen to me yak for 30 minutes. Like that's that's not really where I was headed uh, with this one. But I did, I just, I enjoyed it so much. And I loved playing with the, the gun and the history and, and understanding it and, and cycling shells through it and, and, and busting clays with it, just like it's it's probably done this before, you know. And it's it's been a duck gun before. It's hunted dinner in the Great Depression before, probably. It's 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 seen every major war the United States has had since World War One. It's it's seen so much history and been around for so long, and and you could tell it hadn't been used for a while uh, when I picked it up. Uh, it, it probably had not, uh, had probably hadn't had a raft for it from quite some time, uh, spent through it. So, uh, just to use it again and make it useful and make it ready for what it is. Uh, I just, I just found it fascinating and, and I really enjoy the time with the gun and I just want to talk about it. So, um, I got a couple of more of these, uh, to, to come through here in the near future. So, uh, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for, uh, listening and downloading and we will see you guys next time.
On behalf of Jake Bona and I, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. If you're interested in more content like this or podcasts, check us out at hawkseyeguns.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.